Welcome to Indoctrination, a weekly conversation series about protecting yourself from systems of control. I'm your host, Rachel Bernstein. When I first started thinking about doing this podcast, I knew it was going to be important to me to be able to provide it as a free service. I also knew that would mean paying for it out of pocket. And so I so appreciate people who have gotten the word out, people who have sent links to the episodes to people who they know it could be beneficial to, people who have been wonderful about spreading the word, and people who have also given us wonderful feedback about the impact it's had on their lives. And I especially do want to thank those who have made it possible by going on to Patreon, going to patreon.com slash indoctrination to become paid subscribers so that it can continue remaining on the air. I want to thank the people who have given $10 and above, some very generously, and it is something that is really relied upon. We're not kidding when we say it really does help keep it on the air. I make up the difference in whatever costs are left, which is still significant. And so any other help that anyone can provide would be wonderful. And if you can go to patreon.com slash indoctrination and be able to support this podcast monthly for any amount, that would really be wonderful for me and especially for those who want to be able to continue listening to it. Here is a special shout out, though, to Alex, Anne and Richard, Brianna, Camus, Christina, James, Jessica, Katrina, Ken, Lillian, Linda, Ludwig, Maureen, Michael, Mislav, Peter and Cynthia, Scott, Sylvia and Bert, and Zofia. I couldn't do it without you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hello, everyone. A couple of months ago, there was somebody on the show named Cindy Rudd. There was a lot of response to her interview. A lot of people could relate to her experience as someone who had been abused in a Bible-based group and also could relate to her experience as a mother, being somebody who had to leave a group for her own sanity and her own safety, but who had to leave her children behind. And then her children were made to feel that she was a very bad person, someone who they should stay away from. She was the victim of parental alienation, where children are really made to look down on their parent and made to feel that their parent is up to something or could harm them, someone they can't trust. It is something very cruel to do to rob someone of their children, but to rob children of their parent in that way. And finally, though, two of three of Cindy's daughters were able to get out. And last week, we heard from one of them, Sarah Beth, who had to work to rebuild her trust of this mother who she had heard only terrible things about. And now they have rebuilt their relationship. And they want this week to talk to you all about their journeys within an abusive group and also about leaving and reconnecting and how challenging that was, but how beautiful it's been for them to have a relationship. 
There is a quote from Eleanor Roosevelt that describes the cult survivor's journey, basically, describes it well. You must do things you think you cannot do. Cindy and Sarah Beth each independently made the courageous decision to leave many years of spiritual abuse. While the lies and manipulations were strong, they ultimately fell away as this mother and daughter learned the depths and the strength of their bond. Here are Cindy and Sarah Beth now. So welcome, everybody. I know that um, you heard Sarah Beth on the last episode, and you also got to hear her mom, Cindy, on a previous episode. And we are lucky enough to be able to have them here together today. And I'm so happy for them to be able to see each other and dialogue also about this experience that they shared and also from their different perspectives as mother and daughter, because there are going to be a lot of things that are going to be similar and then divergent based upon how you were treated, based upon the nature of your relationship, being the parent, being the protector uh, and being the child. And even though I know, Sarah Beth, you're not a child, but the child of. So I know that when we talked a while ago, Cindy, you were talking about having raised your kids in a group, in a Bible-based cultic group that really made an impact on the family and also where it caused a lot of very torturous parental alienation for you where you were so demonized and how awful that is and how it robs people of their families and their connections. And so I, I am so happy to see the two of you and to know that the two of you are connected and reconnected. And I'm sure it's a beautiful thing. And so then how long has it been that the two of you have been back in contact with each other? I think six years. Yeah, six years. Well, we really, we emailed a little bit right after I first left seven years ago. I, I was in the second controlling group and because my mom had left my dad, essentially, that is also not allowed, like not allowed ever under any circumstance in that type of belief system that they had. And I'm not knocking Christianity. I am specifically talking about a particular theological wrong belief. Um, but they also villainized my mom based on the things I said about her, but they really didn't want me talking to her. So between my own not understanding what happened and not understanding that I had been lied to about my mom and they, and even at one point I told them, I want to talk to my mom. I want to know what really happened because I was unraveling. I didn't understand. I didn't know what spiritual abuse was. I didn't know you know, what anything was, I just knew that I needed healing. And so I started just Googling things and I went to Barnes and Noble and I Googled stuff, wrote a bunch of book titles down, walked up to the little kiosk in the middle and I like show her the strange title. And this is so precious. The woman looks at me and she goes, I've been where you are. It's going to be okay. She had been through it all. It was crazy. And I see her in town still and we've reconnected. She works, um, with, helping 
children who have been abused and it's very interesting yes. our paths cross sometimes um but she was there like garden angel just to, to I was like this person's gonna think I'm out of my mind and it was around that time in the fall I left in the spring in fact I left right around this time of year in February but it was this the spring is very rem- reminiscent of the time after leaving I told them I need to talk to my mom I need to know what really happened and they said no and then they made me promise not to look up um, research anymore about abuse in the church. And I promised them that I wouldn't. And then they made me um, read a book about newsetic counseling, which I have other thoughts on that. I'll say for another time, but I don't like it. Um, so and I had asked, I want to see my mom. No, we don't think you should talk to her. She's bad for you. And to give them credit, I said stuff about my mom that wasn't true. And they were afraid of me getting hurt. But I think they also saw her as a threat because she had left my dad and she was a woman and she was doing strong things. And so it wasn't until the following, it was almost exactly a year to the day um, where my mom and I reunited in person. And, um, and so that's when we really picked up a real relationship, not just kind of like weird emails where I was like, what, are, who, what is she talking about? And, um, it was at a, a women's conference and actually my sister was there as well. So that's where we picked up it was a whole year until I would even have like a real relationship mm-hmm. with her. That's how, that's how much of a number they did on me and on her to me. And it took me that long to realize that I could talk to my mom. Right. And so I'm wondering, Cindy, when you got that, um, that, well, tell me about that moment when your daughter got in touch with you and she wanted to see you. Well, it it was my sister-in-law who facilitated it. She had us meet at a women's conference. It was um, a Christian women's conference. It ended up that that was when I connected with both of them. My aunt contacted me and she said, there is a women's conference in South Carolina. And my aunt invited me to come along and I could tell where she was going when she talked to me on the phone. Like I could tell she was like, I don't know if you want me to say it or not. And she's like, I was thinking, and I was like that I should go and my mom should be there. (laughs) Yes. And I kind of finished the sentence for her. I was like, yes, I'm ready to see my mom. The other important factor in there for me was that I had just left that second controlling group. And so I was doing stuff. I was just full fledged. Like I'm going to go see my mom. I'm going to date this man. So going to see my mom at a women's conference in a denomination that was not good enough for them was like totally crazy. And so, and my sister had also left that week and happened to just live 20 minutes from where that conference was going to be. And then I don't know how did my aunt tell, how did she tell you mom that about it? I just remember talking to her and she said, well, there could be another surprise because I knew I was going to see you there, but I didn't know. Okay. You didn't know the other one. Yes. No. And the thing that's coming to mind that I want to say, because this is what I wish that somebody had talked about that I could have heard it, that even though you first connect, it takes time to rebuild what was broken. You don't just, in a way, you come back together. And of course, you know all the same things and you've spent your whole life together. But there's also, it's not natural. And someone um, gave me a really good piece of advice, which was to 
be very proactive in like calling, calling at the same time every week, starting habits of connection and habits of communication because and you have to reestablish a whole lot of things that as a mom, you wouldn't think you would have to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I found that to be true with every single one of my kids. Mm-hmm. Almost like you have to prove yourself a lot. Right. Yes. Because especially when a lot of time has passed, they have become used to and Sarah Beth I don't I mean say what you think but they have become used to not having you and their mind and their emotions have blocked you out yeah I think so so what happened when I was in law school well everything when you left started the year I left to go to school and I remember sitting down in the living room with the pastor. He called me and my sister in there. We were both living in his house and he sat us down. It was very serious. And he said, your mom is leaving the church, which sounds like nothing to me right now. I'm like, that's fine. Go find a different one. But at the time it was the worst thing that you could ever hear aside from that she died. Because what would that mean? According to that thinking, if your mom was leaving the church, what was going to happen to her? What did that mean about her? Um, that she was not, basically her eternity was at stake, her destruction was imminent and judgment and all, every scary thing you can imagine was going to happen to her. And to top it off, we knew that we were losing her because you couldn't have a relationship. There was not, there wasn't going to be a relationship. And, and it was at that point, he sort of started tasking us with trying to save her and then gave us the burden of saving the marriage. And that's a whole other conversation. But when it finally came, because yeah, he did blame me and my sister for the divorce. Because um, we failed to follow his counsel, his famous counsel, um, that he sent us to her house to talk to her, but she couldn't talk back, basically. And because you had, to, he would tell you what his message was. And then you go deliver it as though it's yours. Like we talked about in the last episode, how you have to own it for yourself. So it sounds like you're saying it, even though everybody knows who said it and you don't let her speak to you. That's the big thing. You don't let him talk. And he knew if she talked to us, we would listen and she's our mom. And there's so many reasons why that would work for a mom to speak to her kid. And, um, and so we came back and we reported back in, just like I said, my sister and I went together Um, and I could be crossing times. I do believe we both were together on that point. We came back to his house. He was infuriated because he heard, he, you know, how did it go? We report in, do their, you know, whatever. And he heard that we let her talk to us and he just said, you don't love your family. And I could be mixing up different, two different incidents because he had, we had two separate times where he got really mad at us in his house over the situation. Um, but for sure he did tell us whatever happens after this, it's your fault for disobeying me, which is essentially like it's God, God, God's judgment for your disobedience. And then as things kept progressing in our relationship with our mom, to like she's, we're shunning her fully to anytime I'm sad about it or stressed about it, I'm told stress doesn't exist. And mm-hmm. that's funny. And, um, 
And then later on, when the divorce became finalized and I was in school and I'm crying, I'm devastated because at that point it was my, in my mind, it was the last piece of hope that she would come back, that they hadn't finally gotten the divorce because I wanted her to come back. Now I'm like, thank goodness she didn't come back, but it represented that last shred of hope for me when that happened. And I, it was, I was just devastated. It was Easter weekend, 2012, I think. And I was just couldn't stop crying and had to leave class. Like I just couldn't get myself together. And I call and talk to the pastor's wife and she says, you need to be happy because she's evil. And now she's gone forever. Oh, wow. Okay. So no grieving. You're not allowed to grieve, (laughs) no grief. And you learn. And like, like my mom said, you have to not be sad and you have to learn how to not have your mom anymore because that is actually like the right thing to do. Yeah. So start acting like a mom. I started acting like a mom to my younger sibling. That didn't go very well. <laughs> Honestly, most of my life, people have always thought I was their mom. <laughs> I'm like, goodness, I'm only a few years older, but I, I acted like just, I'm the oldest. And so there's the mother end thing, but you know, with my little sister helping her get ready for her, her, her um, senior portrait right, and right. right. And those things where you want your mom there and, and yet you don't know for sure, should you be sad about her not being there and so much fallout from that. But my mom's right. We don't, we had to survive. You block it out. You don't feel your feelings. That is the number one. No, no. Mm -hmm. Um, And so being sad about your mom leaving, well, this is just like, pick up Mm -hmm. your cross and go. Like, this is part of being a good Christian is shunning your mom and and you don't need her. Right, right. Yeah. So, you know, I, I wanted to say that a couple things, and then Cindy, I want to bring you back into this conversation because, uh, first of all, the pastor is blaming the kids for their parents' divorce. That is the exact opposite that any counselor or really pastor would typically say because they know that that's not the case. And even if a parent says, well, it's because, you know, you guys were such a pain that we couldn't keep the marriage together still. Adults are adults. And if they can't handle the stress, they need to deal with the stress and not blame the kids for whatever happens uh, between them. So, right, exact opposite. Also, this idea that stress doesn't exist. So, yeah, wrong. But also that when uh, the pastor responded that way, it seems like he was the one who was stressed. You know, when he got upset that you had talked to your mom and and that you had let her talk to you, it seems like he was threatened and he was probably jealous that you still had any kind of a connection to this person who he was really hoping to demonize fully in your mind and control you ever having a connection with. So he probably felt a little powerless and was very angry about that and was feeling a lot of stress, but you weren't allowed to feel stress because if he were really this relaxed spiritual guy, he would have said, okay, I'm like, all right, not a big deal. Uh, But he, he got very threatened. It sounds by a lot of things. And so Cindy, so, so you're talking about how to fortify your relationship with your kids. And I know one of your kids is still in the group which is something that Sarah Beth talked about last time. And so I hope that you get to do the same with her at some point. Um, And so Uh I'm wondering, just 
going back to even before fortifying the relationship, just when you saw your other two daughters, um, did you feel like a different person when you were seeing them? Yes. Everything changes when you leave something like that. Your physical appearance changes, your manner of conducting yourself, your speaking. For me, it was like my life came back, like the life inside of me came back and the the happiness came back and all the things that I had a lot of anger, it was gone. And when I saw my kids, there was not a single thing that I held against them for how they had treated me because I knew where it had come from. All that, had, it just washes away and then you see them. And they're just, it's, it's surreal. And you can still see the cult on them. <laughs> That's not all the way off yet. That's coming off because I'm a few steps ahead. So I see that as a mom and I want to, to take them forward in what I had found. And I realized the delicate of the time that they're in especially the one that just came out and then you know Sarah Beth's out a year only and so yeah there's it's just this mom it's like mom and then you can't just barrel in and be the mom again yeah. right even though I'm sure you wanted to just run up and give a bear hug and just <laughs> you know have that moment and you knew no. you tread lightly. I love that phrase that you still saw the cult in them or the cult on them. So what it, if you can kind of give a visual for the people listening to that, what did that look like? Or what did that feel like when you saw your daughters that you could still tell they were in it? To me, it's, it's an intuitive, I guess it's an intuitive thing, almost hard to describe unless you really know someone, when you really, really know someone, like you know your children, you look in their eyes and you they're almost looking back at you, but not quite. Okay, right. They're there, but not fully there. There's, there's someone or something that's sort of almost standing between the two of you. It's the oddest thing. And when we see pictures of my daughter that's still in there we can see it in her eyes can't we sarah beth yes yes it's really crazy i call it it you know how it kills the goldfish it's like this it <laughs> that's like, it's like this it's so hard to just it's hard to describe but it's a, it's like a smile that's not a smile detached a detached yes that's a good way to say it you have to be detached to survive. Right, right. So I think they're empty. Their mouth is smiling, but their eyes are dull. Yes, that's it. And then I can look back at pictures of myself and I see the very same thing. Yeah, the people who leave sometimes will talk about having uh, two personas that they they develop this outward persona that was also that was tied into um, seeming like everything was fine and wanting to look 
like you were in that way of thinking and that you were adhering to the belief system and that you were also not going to let a person who wasn't in the group have too much impact on you. So you'd kind of separate emotionally or put this sort of force field up. But that there was also, it, it was sort of tied into being overwhelmed, being confused, sometimes being tired, and there's being a lot of things that would make you feel like you're not fully present. And so I'm wondering just about the two of you, uh, if there were a couple of moments where you really felt like, oh, we really are feeling now safe with each other, we're really reconnecting, because that first moment, was was beautiful it was also hesitant and so what were some other moments after that um i think mother's day that same that same year it was february of 2014 because i had just steve and i my husband and i got married real fast it was funny um but we were i had just left the one place that i'm dating this guy going to the women's conference and meeting my mom February and then Mother's Day. But it's still hesitant, like we said, Mother's Day. I called I called you. Yes. And we talked on the phone for a really long time. Yes. And it wasn't just like, hello, I am your daughter and I am calling you on Mother's Day because that's what you're supposed to do. And I don't know what else to do. We just talked and talked. And I was at um I was at my husband's we were well we weren't married, but I was at my boyfriend's house and I was just outside, um, just talking to my mom. I was just outside just for a couple of hours. Of all the holidays, Mother's Day was the hardest. It was harder than any other holiday. And there was also her wedding because my heart ached so bad <laughs> because I didn't know that I would be participating in their weddings. And I got to help with her wedding and that was just that was the most awesome thing it was like I couldn't give enough I couldn't do enough I couldn't be enough all the things were just like pouring out of me that I had been wanting to to give and do and be for her and to see her marry a person she chose on her own volition and he is a straight up wonderful guy I love him so much and to know that um, it could have gone another way so easily. Right, right. I, I, I wonder also about noticing strengths in each other and similarities. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there's, there's um, I think we are very different in a lot of ways, but when we believe something, we stick to it. We stand by it. Would you say that, Sarah Beth? Yeah, there is that. There, We're not afraid to say hard things <laughs> to people. And we're straight shooters. And I don't think blunt is the right word because that's kind of negative, but we're very mm -hmm. straightforward. And I'm really, when I looked, when I first like knew my mom, she, she would scare me in the cult because she would say things at home about the pastor. And I would be so scared <laughs> because I would be like, oh my gosh, we're going to die. <laughs> um, but, and then they, they villainized her so much. And then when I left and I called my dad to say I was leaving, my dad said, you're just like your mom. 
And that was like the worst thing. And now I'm like, that's right. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, so yeah, and we are really different. I think, I think I'm more like my dad in, in a lot of ways. My, my husband sees it. He's like, you were so much really like interesting in what ways? And, um, I don't, I have to ask him because I'm, my dad's quiet and it's something more subtle. And I do look more like my dad. Maybe that's part of it. Um, but I don't, I'm still learning. Honestly, I'm getting to know my dad Mm. still. Um, so maybe I don't know, maybe my husband can see it because he's looking at both of us like, Oh, you're like him. And I'm like, well, because I have this two dimensional perspective Mm -hmm. on people. We were kind of characterized. Um, you are angry. You are this, you are that. And my mom was the angry one. My dad was the passive one. And they were also my parents as a child. Parents are like permission givers. The like, at some point they're kind of two dimensional to you until you become older and enough to appreciate personalities. And so, yeah, so I don't know, but I know that I, when I see my mom's strength, I'm so proud of her, but it's funny how she went from villain to hero in the same story for the same action the same actions that I thought were wrong and villainous were are now the actions that I I'm like she is my hero she made that step to leave and it took even after I left realizing that that's all she did it was it took a while to unpack that um what my mom did and to the point where it is now where I'm just like yep nothing wrong with it it's a beautiful thing, and I'm sure it's a beautiful thing to hear, Cindy. I mean, it, there's something very telling about it just in terms of cult education because, and I don't mean to reduce it down to this, and I want to go back to what a beautiful statement that was. I don't want to deconstruct too much. But still, um, as we've talked about on this show, it, this really highlights how things that are really wonderful qualities out in the world are seen as um, you know, going against God and, um, well, there are about 20 different kind of insults, uh, that are connected to strength, especially women's strength. Um, being, um, being someone who perseveres, can't be knocked down, can't be redirected. Um, somebody who has a sense of, uh, what is wrong and what is right and is not going to let anyone shift that. They have a real core. Um, And also someone who is um, very connected to their connections, that that a mother is a mother who wants to protect, who wants to do right, and that there's always going to be that part. And same thing with a daughter. The daughter is someone who is always going to have a connection to the mother and it's going to get confused and it's going to get kind of pulled apart to a certain degree. But I think there's still a core that then you can come back to where you say, you know, I never lost that primal connection. Uh, I don't know, Sarah Beth, would that be fair to say that there was something still inside where you were wanting your mom? I think so. I can say that now. I think if, it, if you would ask me that question when I was in there, I would be like, no, no, that's wrong. And so value, putting the value on emotion, putting that value on the things that you want, um, whether they're good or bad or not. But yes, 
Yes, I think so. And I think you, there is that connection and you go back to the things you remember. Like I, like I told you last episode, how my mom, I knew my mom was a safe person. She didn't always buy whatever load of whatever they were saying at church to me, um, at home, they might in front of her and me say things. And then I'd go home and my mom would just, wouldn't punish me at home or would just get mad at, at, she would say like angry things about them at home and I wouldn't get in trouble. And so I would know that she had my back. And I think you don't forget that even if it, it got really messed up there for a while though. So, yeah. Yeah. And I wonder also, Cindy, were there things that you were saying out loud because you wanted to be able to get it out, but also because you wanted to kind of educate your kids about what you thought was wrong? I can't remember what they were, but I can remember specifically purposing in their education. It's like I had this secret plan in my heart that I wanted to make sure they could read and critically analyze literature and break things down. And it was my coward way, I guess, of trying to educate them out of there. Like my hope for them was that they were going to go off to college and find their life. I had given up on mine. Like I had, I was like, I've got to get them out of here. In my moments of clarity, I would think that and I would emphasize the reading and the language because I felt like that was their ticket out. And I felt like that education was their ticket out and thinking for themselves would be their ticket Mm. out Mm. that I didn't know how to give them. Like I didn't see that I could have done what I did in the end. I didn't see it like five years before I did it. I wasn't there yet. And and to clarify too, I don't know if it's been said, my mom homeschooled us. And so that's what she, she taught. She taught, she literally taught us. That. Um, I, I was the only one of us who was K-12 homeschooled. Yeah, so good job. <laughs> well done, you get an A. Well, and now, you know what? You know what I get to do now? I create curriculum for language arts, just like you taught me. <laughs> Are you getting them out, Sarah Beth? Are you getting them out? Well, we have students in other countries where they don't teach create, uh, or um, critical thinking skills. And because we have some affiliate schools in other parts of the world. And one of the things that some of the students have said is, I can't wait to change my country because I'm thinking um, critically now. And so it is powerful. Education is very powerful. So, yeah, it, it, I just made that connection right now, but it is, it's very, it is very powerful questioning things. It's very powerful. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, seeing that nothing bad happens to you also, if you question something or if you deconstruct it and, you know, Cindy used the word cowards, it was your coward way. I think it was the only way because I think you had to be subtle. Yes. Right. You, you kind of had to find a way to in a disarming way without being aggressive about it, without being too obvious about it, help your kids learn how to think and also make it OK for them to have a differing opinion. I mean, those things are huge when you're raised in environments where that's never OK. 
And so what do you think about that? Did you intuit that that was the way you had to do it? Yeah, I think I did. I mean, I remember, I can just remember some specific times thinking, they need to read this. They need to know, they need to see this. They need to learn how to break. I I love language. I love literature. It's my strength. And I was like, they need to learn how to take a story apart and see the art in it and see the artistry and see how things are put together and that things don't always turn out the way how stories are woven. And I just knew, and maybe it was just intuition, that that would be a way. It was like a secret way, almost like an underground tunnel to to getting them out. Is there education? I was like, I've got to get them smart enough to get out of here and get to school and where they can hear some other things. Incredible. So I want to be able to go to something that was brought up just because of the timing of our conversation with what's happening in the world. Uh, For people listening to this episode right now, and for also people who are going to be listening farther down the road, uh, just to put this in context, that there is still the virus running rampant and social distancing and the worry about um, getting uh, getting a virus transmitted or transmitting it to somebody else. And I've been told by a lot of people who have come out of groups where they felt by virtue of being in the group, they were protected. And if they believe the quote unquote right way, they would be protected. And that uh, if something bad happened to them, it was because of something they did wrong. It's been a very triggering time. And so I want to make sure to spend some time on that before we finish up. And so how has this impacted both of you? And have you had a chance to talk about this? Yeah, we, we've talked, we definitely, we talked about it a lot. Um, it's two, it's kind of two reasons it affects me. The one is I'm imagining what they're saying there on the in, inside um, there was an aspect to the cult that was the doomsday, um, that God's judging America or God's judging people for doing these wrong things. And, um, and then there's the other part of the feeling trapped. Um, this virus makes me feel very trapped because you can, that's a trigger for me always. Um, I think it, ha- I know it, it can be for a lot of people. I think that's my worst one is either physically trapped or emotionally trapped. There's nowhere I can go in the world right now. I've thought about Antarctica. I was like, I'll just go live there. There's no, there's no virus there. I just, I want to go there. That's right. And then I'm like, what if I bring it? I might have it and not have symptoms, you know? So I've thought, how do I get out of this? And the first few weeks I was so anxious. I stopped sleeping through the night again. Like I just like, just like I was like when I first left the cult almost as bad of anxiety as I've ever had in my life. Not under just that, that trapped feeling, thinking about what they're saying. I don't believe it anymore. So that doesn't bother me as much. Like I'm not really feeling like the judgment side of things, but I do know, and I see it. I see other people saying it on Facebook and it makes me angry um, because I'm like, that is not true about God. And not that he isn't a God that judges, but this is not 
this isn't just because of whatever you want to say it's because of. Um, and that is a conversation, a whole other conversation, but it has been very trapping. I hurt on both sides because I hurt because I know she's hurting thinking we're out here gonna get sick and be judged and she thinks she's right but she's hurting for us and so I hurt for both sides like I hurt all the way around and then just being a human in the earth right now is hard yeah and that's the other thing about these systems of control empathy isn't I don't think there's any empathy and you can't watch the news and just think there's a reason that person is sad, like they deserved it or because it was always anything that happened in there is our fault. Watching the stories and hearing the nurses and the doctors and hearing the weight and that, that comes with empathizing. And I think inside of these groups, there is a lot of like blame and well, that's them because they did this and blah, blah, blah. And they're lost and they're, yeah. Yeah, there's that like, well, at least we have this and they're just like that. And the compassion is lacking and the empathy is lacking. And this is a time when we are supposed to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. And there's a lot of just, it's just been very heavy and hard. And I can imagine for anyone that has trauma and, and a lot of these groups are like forecasting these kinds of things um, that it feels eerie. The thing, the thing I have to remember is that there's a reason people forecast these things because scientists have been talking about it. It's not because it's some spiritual thing that they've been forecasting. It's because this is what happened. Scientists can look and see a trajectory that this virus can do this thing. And we have a global traveling population now where viruses can spread really easily because everyone goes everywhere. And right. so reminding myself of just practical facts and not getting that creepy oh my gosh what if they were right feeling what if they were right go ahead and say it that's it's got to be said because somebody may be listening and they're dealing with that yeah it's true and I oh I'm a cowgirl and I still say <laughs> I dealt with that mm-hmm yeah and and so that what if they were right is uh is a really hard thing to fight against at times, even though it's really good to think that they were not right and to, to find a way to respond to that when you ask yourself that question. Uh, I mean, just by kind of the laws of statistics, they're going to be right about something some of the time. Um, but what is also true in these groups is the, that idea of the false correlation, that they're going to make connections between things that aren't connected. And so you're going to think that it's because it was foretold or because the world is a bad place or because you left or whatever else. You're going to have all these equations in your head that are false. And so it's really good, like you're saying, Sarah Beth, to go to the science and to see why this happened. And it isn't because of somebody's actions spiritually. Um, and, and so just to, to finish up, I was wondering, um, Sarah Beth and then Cindy, just for some advice to the listeners, to the, to the children, to the parents, what would you advise them about how to make those kinds of connections and how to kind of, I guess, take it slow 
But what did you need to know or see in your mom to be able to kind of trust her and trust that relationship again? She didn't change. Like she didn't change. I changed. I learned the truth. I think that's the thing. Be willing to kind of look under that rock and be willing to hear what really happened, what lies weren't true. Um, There's, this is a hard thing to say, and I hope it can come across well. When you're inside of one of those systems, there's a level where you feel good because you are better than everyone else, or you're chosen or you're selected. There's always that you want to be like that. Well, at least I'm still operating in this way. And that person Uh still is not. And I was still operating in that mindset of like, well, I didn't do what my mom did, but I left, but I'm still like, I didn't leave how she left. You know, there was still that distancing, which is wrong of me, but also makes sense when I look back, I'm like, well, that's a step, but I still, I'm still sad that I did did it, but being willing to set that aside and be okay, I think with who you are without that group saying, good job, you're different than everyone else in the whole world. And then also relationships take a long time. And I think I wanted things to, to be away just to be like perfect and now we're back together because you you watch a movie and that's how it ends up people are just fine at the end and we are but it has taken a long time to get there and one of the things that I had to keep telling myself is being okay with where we are and not trying to be somewhere where we're not like just being here and one day we'll be further along but also working towards more and I think not feeling guilty for how it isn't or how it is um, because you can waste a lot of time trying to untangle blame and fault because it's so messy and no one really can know fully. But I think not feeling guilty, not allowing that old shame because almost all these groups, they seem to function really well with shame and name calling and just that kind of stuff and not lingering in that shame. Love, like I like, I just think love covers that in each other, and just moving forward and healing, and and then being willing to to say hard things. My mom and I have talked about really hard stuff. I think we've healed quickly in our relationship because we've been able to talk about hard things that happened in the past, and then apologize and then keep going. And so, it's just it's work, but it's good work. And I like the message of not placing judgment and just appreciating that there is the connection now and working towards developing that as all parents and children are at different stages of their lives. It's always kind of a work in progress as you make your own personal adjustments and then you kind of have to, it's sort of like a mobile, like when one person shifts, you know, it's like pulling on one part of the mobile and it shakes up the other parts. And so you kind of have to figure out how to work in tandem with each other as you develop and as you grow. Uh, And so I appreciate that insight. And Cindy, I'm wondering for you, just being able to send a message about what you think is helpful to remember when you're reconnecting with your child and also to kind of honor your own experience of 
having really kind of had to dig yourself out of a hole uh, in terms of your reputation just to have a relationship. So if you can share some insights about how to get through that. I gave my kids what I wish somebody had given me when I came out. And I think you cannot validate a person who's coming out of this situation enough so that every time they brought up something it, that they were hurting about or that they that had been wrong in there, that as a parent, I took the responsibility for it. And it was a it I told them that I was the mom and I didn't take care of you. And I just said to my kids on many occasions, a quick apology. I said, I'm sorry for that. And it wasn't heavy. I didn't make it heavy. There wasn't like, I'm so, so. it wasn't emotionally mm -hmm. laden. It was validating them for what they endured in there and taking, letting them hear the person in their life that, although I did what I did when I did it and when I could do it, I did, I had to take the responsibility for it. And I think that they needed to hear that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that takes a lot of strength because you, you are trying to do the right thing and uh, saying what you think you had a hand in, in any way not on purpose. Uh, but it's like um, tripping someone by accident and then saying you're sorry. It's still the appropriate thing to do. Yes, because they needed, they need the validation. They needed to know that what they felt was real. Their pain was real. What they saw, their parents' marriage dissolve and the pain that that alone caused them was all so much was so so much they needed to hear that thank you to both of you and i am so happy that you get to renew a connection and renew a connection that has so much strength but it's also so open and so honest because you get to be in a relationship with each other and really be yourselves it's true <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's true. It's so true. Like you got to meet each other. It's true. Yeah. Yes. And we don't take, I don't take for granted what I probably would have had we not had this explosion in the middle of things. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, yep. I wish for all the people listening who don't have a relationship with their kids or their loved ones um, now or yet that you're all able to reconnect at some point. Uh, and I, I love that you have this relationship. And I also know that, it, that you have a heavy heart for the other family member who is still in a situation that you want her to be able to be free from. And I wish you both well with that. I hope that works out to the best uh, outcome for her and for all of you. And thank you again for your time and go have virtual fun with each other while you're in quarantine. <laughs> yes. uh, okay. Yeah, thank you. Be well, both of you. Talk to you soon.
One more thing before you go. I am so moved by Sarah Beth and Cindy. They have had to work hard to reconnect and to rebuild and to find ways to forge a relationship with each other as adults after years of being pulled apart and manipulated. And I'm so grateful that people like Cindy and Sarah Beth are open to telling their stories. I want to offer to any other parents and children or grandparents and grandchildren, anyone listening out there, people who were formerly connected then torn apart and through luck or through tenacity found a way to reunify and rebuild their relationship, let me know. I would love to hear your story. And I know all of you would probably love to hear their story too. So often what happens in these kinds of groups is there is a hyper focus on blame. And of course, the blame never moves up. It only and always moves down. So people are not to point fingers upward to the leader or to the controller. They're supposed to be pointed really at themselves or pointed to the people who are at the same level in the group or people who are considered lower than them, lower on the hierarchy. Blame also is assigned to people outside of the group as bad people and the ones who are going to bring you down and also to other forces, which I will detail in a moment. It actually took my breath away for a moment when Sarah Beth talked last week about how she had to apologize to her pastor after he hit her. And yes, you heard that right. She had to apologize to him when she was young and he was an adult after he hit her. When I hear these things, I am so alarmed, but I also know that's par for the course in cults and That's also par for the course in abusive relationships. The excuse, the I wouldn't have hit you if you hadn't done the following things or if you didn't do the following things. I wouldn't have to demote you or I wouldn't have to hate you. I wouldn't have to criticize you if you hadn't done something wrong. I talk to kids and also sometimes to adults about how when they've done something wrong and the person who is in the position of authority, presumably either the adult in that relationship, if they are a child or, or just the person higher up than they are, loses their composure and gets cruel or physical or so out of control that the punishment absolutely outweighs the crime if there was a crime at all. Well, they're the ones who actually show that they can't be trusted, not you. They're the ones who should be blamed for their behavior if there's blame to go around. No one has to hit anyone else unless they're in danger and it's self-protection. No one has to berate anyone else. No one has to be cruel or shaming towards anyone else. It's a choice. And if you blame the other person for your loss of control and if you blame the other person for your anger, And if you blame the other person for making you hurt them or hit them or shame them, then you're just taking the easy way out. You're showing how much responsibility you are not willing or able to take and that there is actually a lot of maturation and growing up you just proved you need to do. And that you also need to work on controlling your own temper. 
With those who don't want to take responsibility for their actions, they find that they buy themselves a lot of power by blaming others for, well, really everything. And they're determined to create scapegoats. Cindy was a scapegoat. Sarah Beth mentioned that her mother's name became synonymous with evil and someone bad. The name Cindy became the term and the name used for people to look down upon. That is certainly defamation, but it's also certainly just immature. It's not teaching a lesson about Cindy from on high. You know, it's, it to me just feels like schoolyard name calling and bullying. What I've noticed recently, and bringing this back up to the very present time, still during a time of the pandemic, is that people who are affected and infected now are sometimes being blamed. Whole nations and nationalities are being blamed. And people who have knee-jerk reactions and divisive leanings have jumped into the growing groups of people pointing fingers and adding to the polarization. Additionally, people who are fundamentalist in their thinking believe that those who are now affected and infected have been targeted by God and are deserving of punishment for their actions or their lives if it goes against biblical guidelines for how to behave. They're being judged as being deserving of this kind of punishment, and that always seems so unbiblical to me because it feels like casting the first stone. In fact, I think it is exactly casting the first stone. But in any event, there are those in fundamentalist groups who have left, who do still very unfortunately adopt that idea about others, but sadly also still hold on to that idea about themselves, that they do feel that they are being punished and are deserving of this kind of punishment. When I was growing up, I remember being a young girl sitting in the synagogue and having my rabbi at the time, Rabbi Scholweis, say the following. Nature does not have a conscience. Human beings and other living creatures have a conscience, but nature is void of conscience. And I remember it kind of going over my head. I didn't understand the relevance of it when I was young. I didn't know why he was speaking about it, but luckily, years later, as an adult, I heard him speak about it again, and he expanded on the thought. There had been a large earthquake in California where I live, and so there were people who came to him and said, why me? Why did this happen to me that I was injured or that my house fell, but it didn't happen to my neighbor? What did I do? So he decided to talk to everyone. And he said the fact that nature does not have a conscience was very important to remember, meaning there was no meaning. There was no meaning to the fact that some people died of certain diseases while others didn't. And some people were killed during acts of nature like earthquakes and floods and others weren't. That there was no reason, no cosmic, no spiritual reason that a tornado hit and destroyed one house and spared the next. And that it was important to do what you could do to keep yourself safe, of course. But that if you were harmed in any way or a loved one was harmed in any way by an act of nature, it was not because of any previous behavior or because of their sexuality or gender identity or political leaning or belief in God or their lack of belief in God. It just meant that these sorts of devastating things happen 
and that the focus should never be on pointing a finger either inward or outward, but rather leaning towards others for assistance if you are affected, or leaning towards others for you to assist them if they were affected. It is true when I think about it that even now with this pandemic, there is governmental finger pointing at different cultures and at the origin of the disease. And while that might be scientifically significant in order to prevent this in the future, it seems like the focus now should instead just be on making sure everyone can be tested and everyone has the possibility of staying safe and everyone has the possibility of being given the most up-to-the-minute opportunities for medical intervention and that those who are helping are given the utmost amount of protection for themselves while they're helping other people. Finger-pointing is, from my perspective, not only at times childish, but it is enervating, draining, and distracting, and time-consuming, and besides the point, until everyone is safe. There will be a time for that later, and unfortunately, as we will see, there will be plenty of people who will use that time for finger-pointing ad nauseum. But now is the time to use your hands to reach out to each other and care for each other and not stand back and not point your finger to those who are struggling and suffering in any way because there's something, I think, quite obnoxious about that, to be honest. There's something not only heartless about it, but there's also this superiority, this looking down, that I find very distasteful and not respectful or respectable. So, while nature does not have a conscience, we do, and it's time for us to focus on using it. Thank you again to Cindy and to Sarah Beth, and making sure, as well, that all of you listening and all those you care about are staying safe and healthy, and that those who are not healthy at the moment We'll make a full and speedy recovery. Talk to you next week. I'm excited to say that this podcast is now available on additional platforms. If you want to listen to Indoctrination, it's available for download on the NPR Radio Public app, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. Please support Indoctrination at patreon.com slash indoctrination. We now have a big library of content that you can access with any donation. And subscribers receive bonus interviews and other cool goodies. We love hearing from you too. So send us an email at indoctrinationshow at gmail.com. Thank you for your support.